Welcome to Leadership Lessons. I'm Todd Gray, the Executive Director for the Kentucky Baptist Convention. Leadership Lessons is a program where we talk to faithful leaders who are making an impact for the gospel. My guest today is vocational evangelist John Reed. This is going to be an exciting episode. We're going to talk about evangelistic preaching, church revivals, as well as the call of the evangelist, which John has experienced and, and lives out. If time allows, we'll talk about COVID and John's family, also spiritual growth and uh, maybe even burnout, fatigue, some things that pastors are dealing with right now. If you're listening live or later, first thing I want to say is thank you for taking the time. Uh, but chime in and say hello. If you're on Facebook Live, just say hello to us. Let us know that you're listening. If you have questions that you'd like to ask, we'd love for you to send those in. I can't guarantee we'd get to them, to them all, but we might be able to, so please feel free to send them in. John, let's get started. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Where did you grow up? I grew up in uh, Buford, Georgia. Buford, Georgia. All right. Yeah. So where where is Buford in the state? Buford is north of Atlanta, um, um, north, northeast Georgia. So my wife and I now live in Bethlehem, Georgia, which is uh, right near the University of Georgia, about 20 minutes from the University of Georgia. Are you a Georgia football fan? Uh, yes, yes. Big, big time? <laughs> not not big time, but uh, I am a Georgia Bulldog fan. My youngest son, he's he's diehard Alabama fan. <laughs> oh, well, that makes it that makes it fun around football season in your house. Yeah, yeah. we always lose to them. <laughs> John, when did you receive the Lord? How old were you when you when you got saved? Uh, I gave my life to Christ when I was twenty one years old. Was that your first experience with the Lord, or did you make a profession of faith earlier in life? Tell us about that. I, I was raised in church all of my life, and uh, I was baptized at eight years old, uh, but I did it because all the other kids were doing it, and I had two older brothers, and I wanted to do do what they had done, and, and uh, I meant well, and but um, over time, uh, my life uh, as a teenager, I begin to what we call sow our wild oats, but the Bible calls it being lost. Yeah. And uh, I, I didn't lose my salvation. I just never had it in the first place. And uh, it wasn't until I was 21 that I heard the gospel, uh, not uh, with my ears, but with my heart. And, uh, and it wasn't until I was 21 years old that I saw the cross, not with my eyes, but with my heart. And that's when I gave my life to Christ. I was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. Yeah. Some kind of a, how did you get there? I've heard some of your salvation story. Hey, John, let me just say here that folks who are watching, they probably see you in what looks like a hotel business office that uh, we've had a good deal of difficulty getting connected and get everything working. We're thankful that it is working, but that's, is that where you are? Are you in a hotel or? I'm at the, I'm at the Hilton. <laughs> at the Hilton. All right. So how did you end up in Gatlinburg to hear the gospel? Uh, well, my uh, one of my friends that I was a roommate with at Georgia Southern, he had gotten saved and he didn't tell anybody about it, but he started dating a, a girl that um, was uh, uh, went to the Baptist collegiate ministry. And uh, anyway, they started inviting me to go with them, which I, I wouldn't go. And then um, uh, later they tricked me into going to a college retreat and uh it was in Gatlinburg, Tennessee. They didn't tell me it was with a church group until the last minute. And so uh, 
they asked me if I'd go if I wanted to go skiing for fifty bucks. Oh, wow. <laughs> and uh, I didn't know I was getting scholarship by somebody. So you you were saying you said yes to the ski and it, but you but the gospel was connected. Uh, yeah, just, I just didn't know it until about a couple of days before we left. <laughs> So just take us there. So you're, are you listening to a preacher or did somebody share the, uh, their faith with you personally? Or how did how did you kind of come under conviction and realize that you were were lost? Well, I, I went to the to the Bible study that that evening. We skied all day that day. And I, I heard uh, the the pastor preach uh, that night and I was convicted. But my life was so out of sorts. I, I, I didn't feel like I could go down. Uh, I just wanted to, I, when I heard the gospel, I just wanted to leave. I, I didn't want to go forward. I wanted to leave, but, but yeah. I, I felt the conviction. And, and then I had somebody follow me up uh, to my hotel room and uh, he shared with me basically what the preacher had shared with me. And I, I gave my life to Christ then. John, I, you're, you're hearing you tell your story. I'm remembering coming under conviction as a 24 year old, Someone just kind of challenged my life a little bit. And when they did, I was really angry. I mean, the conviction just made me made me very angry. Hey, so you're married and have children. Yes. Tell us about your wife and your family. Yes, I'm a, uh, my wife and I were married in 1998. And um, we, uh, the doctors, they told us we wanted to have kids right away because we were older getting married and uh so we tried for six years and 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 weren't able to have kids and so we went to the doctor and and they pretty much told us we couldn't have kids but they left out that god factor and we prayed two of them into existence so (laughs) how do your how do your sons i have a 16 year old and a 14 year old all right and you all have moved fairly recently, haven't you? The last time, one of the last times I was talking to you, you were relocating in your area. Yes, we we moved to Bethlehem, Georgia. Okay, John, what's something about you that maybe not many people know? Uh, something uh, I like to scuba dive. Really, <laughs> most people don't know that. <laughs> yeah, how long have you been doing it? Well, I, I started when I was probably. 20 in my early 20s and uh and i haven't been lately but i i, I sure would like to go again <laughs> so you and i have you and i have that in common i got certified to scuba dive when i lived in indianapolis and didn't i didn't keep it up but had some pretty interesting experiences in the in the water well yeah. let's let's talk about your work for lack of a better term we'll we'll understand what it is as you describe it so you are a vocational evangelist so what does that mean exactly what do you what do you do well, um, when I was called to to go into full time evangelism, I, that was uh, that was roughly twenty years ago, and uh, I really didn't know what it would look like. I just knew that that's what God was calling me to do, and so uh, I sought counsel from all of my heroes in the faith, and and uh, you know they were concerned that I was going that route, <laughs> and. Uh, uh, so anyway, we, we operate by faith and what that looked like from the beginning. And it still looks like today is, uh, we, we just pray that God would open up opportunities and, um, we've never solicited pastors or, or, or sent out brochures or anything like that. Not that that's wrong. Uh, we just believe if God's big enough to save us, he's to supply for us. And so we, we, uh, 
I got my first revival uh, within a couple of weeks of, of surrendering to the full-time well. call of the, of the evangelist. And that very first revival that I, I, I had was in um, Tibby, Alabama. And uh, I can pretty much track back every revival that I've ever gotten from that very first revival. We had 56 people saved in a little bitty church in Alabama. And, um, and from there, other churches came. The revival got extended and pastors started talking and one led to another. And two revivals led to five revivals led to 10. And now I've been to hundreds of churches in the last 20 years. John, when you said 56 people got saved, this is not a church of 1,000 people or 500. What size church was it? And tell us about Tibby, Alabama. Tibby, Alabama is so sparsely populated that the parsonage is was on 2,000 acres. <laughs> and so uh, it, uh, it, the church uh, average attendance was probably 60 people. Yeah. And uh, we... Um, uh, I went several weeks before the revival to do revival preparation and, uh, which I put that together, uh, a, a notebook together. This was years ago for, and I made these three ring binder notebooks for all the church members and asked them to begin to pray for their friends and family members and just showed them how to prepare themselves for revival and how to invite others to the revival and and of course me and the pastor worked together and and uh i just said on that on that several weeks before the revival when i did the prep i just told them i said if we'll do this right you know we'll we'll have over 300 people at this revival and they laughed at me and uh but uh by wednesday night we had over 300 people and um we extended it all the way to saturday uh, it was supposed to be over on Wednesday, but we extended it to Saturday night. And by that time, other churches were coming and other people were coming. And and uh, we had a, a ton of people sitting on the outside of the church and um, uh, just were able to listen to what was going on inside the small church. So that's that's amazing. John, I'm going to ask you, I'm going to ask you more questions about revival preparation, how you prepare a church, but I really want to talk about this calling of an evangelist. So here are a couple of scriptures that come to mind. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says that he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. So from that text, what's your understanding of the call of the evangelist? It's listed in these four types of callings. We believe two of those are, are fulfilled completely, but the Lord still calls evangelists and pastors and teachers. What, how's, a, how's a pastor different from an evangelist or an evangelist different from a pastor teacher in your, in your understanding? Well, um, um, I've worked with hundreds of pastors and just listening to them and, and listening to their heart. Uh, I think they uh, wake up sweating at night over the health of the church and yep. over the health of their church members and just uh, they have a, a, a more broader sense of the body of Christ. And, and I, I, I'm i kind of a, a more focused. I, I wake up at night sweating over lost souls. And, and I'm sure I know pastors do, too. But um, for me, my, my calling um, is it's just a more of a focused. Uh, my ministry is called focused evangelism, but I, mm -hmm. I just find myself. Um, uh, I, I, 
is something that I want to do all the time. I started out um, pastoring in collegiate ministry and singles ministry, and I I enjoyed it. But over time, I, I didn't seek to I didn't seek the office of the evangelist. It just that's just who I became, and uh, and so much so that my pastor that I was saved under he. He had called me to come to his church many times, and and when he called me up and said, "John, have you ever thought about doing evangelism full time?" and I hadn't I hadn't ever gotten a release to go until he said that, and mm-hmm. it was almost as if I didn't have to pray about it. And um, uh, the ministries that I was involved in prior to that, uh, they grew by one-on-one evangelism. Um, people ask me, how'd you, how did that ministry grow so big? And, and it was just, I was just doing what God's always called me to do. From the moment I got saved, I had a strong desire to tell my friends how I got saved and, and what happened to me. And it's just grown into a big, into just a bigger scale. But I've always had this intense desire to, to tell people about Christ and share the gospel with them. And um, I find myself at home there more so than, than pastoring a, a, a body of believers. I think that's a really good distinction that you've made that the pastor carries a, a real burden for the strength and health and well-being of the entire congregation. Your your burden is just different than that. You're, you're really burdened for the lost world and lost communities around the, the church. And it sounds like Man, those two really need each other. I mean, that's that's a, that's not a competition. That's a compliment and complementary callings. Well, you know, I've I've had the privilege in the last uh, several years to work with a lot of younger pastors as well, and 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 they, uh, a lot of them have said to me, "You've you've made me rethink my my whole ministry. You've made me rethink the invitation, rethink a lot of things." And I love what you said. I. I believe we're supposed to complement each other. And, and, and every time I'm with a pastor, I learn more and I, and they sharpen me and I pray that my, my gift and my calling will always sharpen them. And, and that's part of the ministry that I do is, 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 is to complement and assist and come alongside the pastor. And, and if the pastor has revival, the church has revival. It's, Amen. It's a, Amen. It's That's good. So another text from Scripture, 2 Timothy 4, verse 5. Paul talking to Timothy, but watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. So when Paul's telling Timothy, do the work of an evangelist, and, and pastors are hearing that as a pastoral epistle, they believe it's to them that they're called to do the work of an evangelist, even though that's not their calling, they're called to be a pastor, but they're to do the work of the evangelist. What kind of work should pastors be doing to fulfill 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, doing the work of an evangelist? What, what comes to mind, John? Well, um, the Bible says that we're to equip the saints to do ministry. And uh, I've, I've trained people in every kind of evangelism that I believe Southern Baptists have ever offered. And uh, they're all wonderful ways to learn evangelism. But to answer your question, the best way to, to train your people is they just really need to go with you. There's a yeah. lot of different strategies to use, but I found that, that just week after week, uh, spending time and allowing, you know, uh, when Jesus went across the lake to heal the demoniac, 
he took the disciples with him. Yeah. And uh, I love that uh, because he could have went over there and healed the guy all by himself, but he took the disciples with him. And I, 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 I like that picture. And uh, to, the best way for pastors to do the work of the evangelist is, is to do it themselves personally, but just take people with them. And one of the things that stops people, I think, or stops pastors is they're a little bit skittish or, or afraid to fail or they don't want their, their um, um, congregation maybe to see them it, it not work out. And that's they need to see you fail. They need yeah. to see you present the gospel and it works sometimes and present the gospel. And, it, and it may, they may not be ready sometimes, but just going with you week after week is 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 vital. John, I love taking pastors out knocking on doors. And in doing that, there is a vulnerability. There were plenty of times when it just didn't go well, you know, and, and I mean, I love to ask folks, how many of you, how many of you know exactly what to say in a witnessing conversation about 30 minutes after the conversation is over? And that's, that's just me. And that's where people are. But, you know, as we depend on the Lord, he, he makes us able. Hey, how many, um, you're not going to know this answer probably exactly, but any idea how many full-time evangelists there are? in the U.S., in Southern Baptist circles, any, any approximate, approximate number? This is, a, this is approximate, but um, uh, I know at one time there was over 300 uh, vocational evangelists, and I just went to uh, our national meeting uh, a couple of years ago um, to the national one, and uh, there was less than 30 there. Yeah, that's what we see in Kentucky as well. I, I, know, a, I know a handful of people who have been vocational evangelists. I don't know many at all right now who that's what they're doing full full time. There has to be a second occupation. Hey, John, if someone says, thinks they're being called into evangelism, what would be a couple of first steps for them to consider in discerning that discerning that call? Well, the Bible says to, to, to seek godly counsel. And the Bible says, if any man lacks wisdom, he should seek the Lord. So I would definitely start there. But but some practical things to do would be to go on to the national um, organization, which is COSBY, as the Conference of Southern Baptist Evangelists. Or um, uh, there's, I'm, I know in Georgia, we have the Georgia Baptist Evangelists. But uh, to go and, and talk with some vocational evangelists and you can find them on that, at that national level um, or on the state level, but to talk to a, a seasoned evangelist, talk to someone that's doing it because evangelists go about evangelism different ways. And, yeah. uh, and uh, my, my, I'm primarily revivals and crusades and uh, I do training. I do evangelism training. Uh, but there's other evangelists that, that go about it differently. And uh, so uh, talking just, with a, a vocational evangelist would be very helpful. Just hearing someone else's story. In fact, I think I gave you a book, Junior, Junior Hill's book on mm -hmm. uh, called Junior, and he tells his evangelism story. So when folks look, sometimes when you know a local church pastor might look at an evangelist and think, well, that looks like an interesting life. He's in a different place each week. He's not dealing with some of the headaches of pastoring. What are a couple of the challenges of evangelism that folks might not be aware of? Uh, being on being on the road is a is a is a lonely. Um, it's difficult, especially if you have a family. Um, the very year that I was called into full time evangelism was the very year that we found out that we were going to have our first child. 
And uh, I would say that that's that's difficult to be away from your family. Uh, it's also um, it's it's definitely a walk of faith. I, I tell everybody I, I I live by faith, kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah, it's it's a it's a roller coaster. Um, there's times of plenty, and then there's times of want. And, uh, and and knowing that you're called and and uh, knowing uh, it, it's 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 not it's not a I don't get a, a paycheck every week. Um, yep. So like when COVID hit, uh, I lost. I didn't lose some of my revivals. I lost all of them. Yeah. And uh, so it's a it's and you know and 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 over the years, God has supplied for me in ways that I didn't know he would. And, and it, it, it requires, and, and not only that, you, you have to have a wife that, that understands that and yeah. supports that call. So. Well, so that, was a, my next, go ahead. that was my next question, John, is to talk about the impact that COVID has had and you've already kind of moved us toward that direction. So um, take us back to March of 2020. You probably had a full year. My guess is you, you preach, you preach somewhere probably as, as many Sundays as you want to. I think I've heard you say that you only schedule enough revivals that you can also do the preparation for those revivals that you schedule. So that kind of cuts the year in half probably, but what did your year look like before COVID the real, the real outbreak? And then what did it look like a couple of weeks later? Well, the, 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 the last revival I did was actually the president of the Georgia Baptist convention. It was his church. And uh, we had a great revival. And, and uh, so I was coming off a of mountaintop uh, revival and then COVID hit. And, uh, you know, they told us initially that they were going to shut the nation down for a couple of weeks. Well, here we are a couple of years later. Yeah. So I, what it looked like for me is, is pastors just one by one started calling and canceling uh, my spring revivals. And um, so my wife and I, we, we, we just prayed about it and said, well, we'll tighten our belt and we'll make it till the fall. And uh, but then the, it extended into the fall. And so I lost all of them as well. So um, I've had some pastors call me to, to fill in and, and I've done some uh, video um, messages and different things. But uh, it's, it's, it's been a really tough time. I've, yeah. I have a friend of mine that has a business and he's allowed me to help him some. And, and uh, so, I, you know, um, my schedule went from almost book solid to, um, to, to nothing. So, yeah. um, it, it's been a real adjustment. We've had to, uh, refinance and, and do a lot of things we didn't think we ever would have to do, but we still feel called to do, to do this ministry. Yeah. Well, thank you, John, for your for your good work. So let's talk about evangelistic preaching. A, a lot of times pastors will listen in on this this um, conversation or these interviews. So what are some elements of an evangelistic sermon? If you're thinking about a, a message that you're going to preach and you're wanting for lost folks to hear it, understand the gospel, understand their sin, separation from God. Uh, what's going to be important to you in that message? Um. First of all, um, I, I like to start um, with the invitation. I like to start um, making an appeal from the very beginning to let the congregation know that this is 
which is where we're going. Um, I like to be very clear uh, in in the message uh, from the beginning uh, to the end. And uh, um, what's important to me, uh, I learned early on there's a big difference between flesh-led evangelism and spirit-led evangelism. And I can tell early on, uh, that's one of the reasons I feel so strongly about the prep. Um, And pastors will find this to be true. If you're constantly um, in the community and inviting lost people and challenging your congregation to invite lost people, when lost people are in the crowd, the Holy Spirit drives me straight to the cross. Um, if I, and I've had to over the last year, I've preached at churches where it was mostly just church members, um, that, you know, and the, the message went, went in a different direction, you know, more of an edifying type message. But when there's, when the church is prepared and lost people are present and that's been the work of the week, then that, that your message, whether you're preaching uh, the woman at the well or Jesus feeding the 5,000, um, you're going to, you're, you, you, the Holy Spirit will drive you straight, straight to the cross, straight through the gospel. And um, I think pastors find themselves preaching more edifying or equipping type sermons uh, when, when that, when the Holy Spirit's leading and that's who's present. You know, that's that's way that's what you'll preach and you should yeah. <laughs> preach that way. But when you're when you've when you've led your congregation to bring lost people and you've brought people that that morning or that night, uh, it will guide your preaching. Um, I've had I've had pastors say you're the only person I've met that can take any message, whether it's Old Testament, New Testament and, and make it an evangelistic message. And, yeah. and it's in. That just that happens naturally when they're present. Well, that's what that's what Spurgeon was known for. That uh, start off with the text and make a beeline to the to the cross. Hey, uh, John. So um, for pastors who, again, you know, I'm hearing you t- say all these things, and it just feels like there's that complementary role of a local church pastor and then a, a, a called out evangelist that they're benefiting from each other's ministry. The church is being built up through that daily ongoing ministry of the pastor. An evangelist comes in and preaches the gospel to to um, to lost folks. Why don't you? Would you walk us through like uh, your invitation? So when you're trying to wrap up the message and move to a, a an appeal for folks to receive the Lord, what what are some elements of that invitation? How are you going at it? Um, I, I, I through the message, I, I I like to make sure they understand the bad news first. I don't, you know, when I'm when I'm making an appeal, the Bible says that the beginning of wisdom is the fear of God. So yeah. somewhere in the message, I'm I'm helping them to get a better understanding of who who God is, both full of grace and mercy, but also law and wrath and judgment, and what. If, if I'm able through the Holy Spirit to communicate that uh, there's if a person is there that doesn't have a relationship with Christ, they're nervous. They feel nervous. They feel uh, uh, fearful and um, 
and that's through the work of the Holy Spirit through the message. So I bring them to uh, the moment of invitation where I bring, uh, where I move into the solution. And, uh, but um, lots of pastors make different appeals, different, there's different types of appeals for evangelism. Uh, my, my favorite is, or my, I think the most beneficial is I don't believe I'm trying to answer you the best way I can, Todd, that I don't believe anyone can be saved until they have a crisis moment Yeah. because the Bible's the, the, the cross is a crisis. And the Bible says when Peter preached, uh, uh, the people were cut to the heart. And And when I'm headed toward an information toward an invitation, I, I believe people should feel cut to the heart that their sins have crucified Jesus to the cross. See, I I knew that in my head growing up, but on January 23rd, 1992 in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, when I was 21 years old, I felt sick to my stomach. I felt uh, uh, for the first time, genuinely afraid, not, not like somebody, it was a God fear. It was a, it, I believed if I would have stopped breathing that I would have slid right into hell. And it was a, it was a Holy Spirit invoked fear. And, and, and when I believe that in order for someone to be saved, they need to experience that type of conviction that they have to come to that crisis moment where they realize I'm separated from God and Jesus is the only way and the only one that can bridge that gap for me. Salvation is a God work. Yeah. And, and, and so I, I hope that, that it helps. Yeah. Thank you, John. Thank you for your faithfulness. You're trying to explain the work of the Holy spirit in the life of a, in the heart of a sinner, which is impossible for us to fully understand, but there's no doubt you're preaching law. You're preaching about you're given clear picture of what sin is, the impact of sin, the consequences, the seriousness of sin, and that's going to make a lost person uncomfortable. And then you're going to get to the cross, which is the uh, uh, God's God's answer to our, our biggest, our biggest problem. Hey, listen to what you said about the church and having lost folks in it. My father-in-law is 80 or 81. He's been for the last 10 years. He's gone out to Iowa council bluffs, Iowa to a church that he planted years ago. He's preached revival for them. They'll spend all week, not all day long, nine o'clock in the morning until church time, knocking on doors in the community and trying to share the gospel. And then they have revival that night and attendance (laughs) attendance was about 60 the Sunday he got there, and then the following Sunday, uh, wrapping up revival or close to it, I think they had 184 people in attendance. And that that served. they just worked it all week long and saw folks saw folks saved. So that's revival, the kind of thing. Yeah, revival revival works when people work. Well, let's talk about let's talk about church revivals. So, approximately how many in a, in a non-COVID time, John? And hopefully, and, and prayerfully, the the Lord will get your schedule full again and keep providing for your family as he, as he has about how many revivals are you doing a year and, um, you know, a regular year in a regular year, I'll do, uh, approximately 25. Okay. So you're, you're preaching a revival, but you're also the, the other 25 weeks you're preparing those churches for the revival. Is that, is that correct? That's right. And, and I'm, I'm the president of the Georgia Baptist evangelist and I'm, I'm, I'm uh, trying to, train the evangelist or, or try to 
explain to them. The first time I shared this with other evangelists, they're like, how can you survive off of off of 25, you know, revivals? And um, uh, I explained to them, we need more quality revivals, not quantity revivals. And uh, what happens when I take the time to do the prep, the Bible says you reap what you sow. Yeah. And so, and so a good, the way I'm able to make it with, with that way is I meet the church several weeks out. The pastor feels comfortable. We work out a lot of, we, there's a lot of things that we can iron out in that early time. And then, and then the people are ready. And so, you know, it's, it's the difference in five people getting saved and a hundred people getting saved. And uh, it makes a huge, a huge difference. And so I'm, I'm asking the evangelists to consider um, um, having a, a revival preparation. And there's lots of different ways to prepare. There's lots of different things out there. I've put together a, a revival preparation strategy and, and created an app that people can use. Uh, but basically it's, it's built off of second Chronicles seven fourteen. If my people will humble themselves and pray. And, and so I, I, I built it on that pattern and, uh, and it basically, um, uh, it basically coaches people every day how to practically do that. And, uh, and in the process, it prepares themselves and it, uh, it, uh, it, I coach them on how to bring people with them, how to bring people, get in other people involved in that work. And so I've heard a lot of people say, oh, I thought revivals were, were just for the church members. No, uh, re revive to do what? You know. Yeah. So if, if everybody gets involved, re revival is both for the church and we can also bring a lot of people with us in the process. And, and uh, so, you know, back in the day, years ago, uh, they, we would have a one week revival and, you know, people would say the, the, the church would get right and then it would go another week. And then that's when people started getting saved. And so basically we, we try to get the church ready for six to eight weeks out so that when the revival begins, as far as the preaching part of the revival, revival's already begun if they do the prep work. But John, we basically... We basically start at 30,000 feet. We don't have to take off that week. We, we take off, the plane takes off on prep day. And then when, when I show up six to eight weeks later, the, the church is already at, at 30,000 feet. And we're, we're, we hit the ground running, pastor's ready, church is ready, lost people are there, and then it goes from there. I, I, I did two revivals just recently and both of them got extended. And uh, because they were ready. Yeah. yeah. Well, John, so in your preparation, you're you're having church members and you're coming and do this yourself. I mean, you're doing it for the church. You're there on a Wednesday night or a Sunday morning, Sunday night, uh, six or eight weeks before the revival. You're having them identify lost folks that they already have contact with. You're having them to start praying for them by name. You're having them reach out ahead of time to invite them to the revival, to do an act of kindness, maybe even to share the gospel with them. And so all that's happening, if 50 or 100 church members are actively doing that in preparation, man, there's no doubt that some great things are going to happen. And then when 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 those church members see their friends get saved, that's a life-changing experience for them as well, isn't it? Absolutely. It, it, it's, I, I, I love doing it. I can't, I can't, 
I've seen uh, some of the things I've seen in these revivals. I, I mean, I, my my both my brothers said, "You got to write a book about all this stuff." And but just seeing God move on a supernatural level, we've all been a part of revivals that were good. They were good revivals, but they weren't God revivals. And uh, there's a big difference between a good revival and a God revival. And to when when the church stands up and and does what the church is supposed to do. God gets excited about that and God intervenes. God shows up in the midst of that. And that's, that's what people can't, that's what they're not used to. And, 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 and it's not that it's not what I bring. It's not what the pastor brings. It's, it's God honoring obedience. And when the, when we, the Bible says, if my people, if, and when that, when we do the if, God, God always does His part. He always does His part. So, John, you, you, um, you know, there are pastors who would say the church I pastor just would not participate in a revival. They, they would see that as something that was of a day gone by, and I don't think they would really get involved in it. If you had two minutes for that pastor, uh, what would you say to him to encourage him to, hey, why don't you give it a try? Uh, what, what would you say to encourage him? Well, um, when I talk to pastors, one of the most pastors that I talk with are always in decision mode, whether it's a decision on whether to build a building or go on a mission trip or go to another pastorate. They're always in decision mode. And one of the most powerful tools that I can recommend any pastor is fasting. Uh, Fasting um, is that it brings so much clarity and uh, uh, that's it's a big part of my ministry. And and it usually takes about three days to get into that place where everything slows down and everybody. And, and but when a pastor is fasting and seeking the Lord and I ask the pastor, you ask the Lord, is this should we do this? And, and if the pastor is called by God, led by God. To, to have and hold a revival, his people will follow. If yeah. it's if he if he's just contacting a friend to and they're switching pulpits and it's just something that's on a calendar. But I ask pastors pray and ask God. Um, and you know what, uh, Todd, I've never done a revival where people didn't get saved. And so I'll tell pastors and say, you know, if that's the case, if you if we do a revival and nobody gets saved, you'll be the first. And then and then pastors always say, you know, it's worth it if just one gets saved. And uh, and it is worth it if the church comes together and just one person gets saved. It's absolutely worth it. But uh, if we if the pastor's called by God, if he's just called by God to have the revival, as I am called by God to be an evangelist, as he is called by God to be a pastor. It's 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 like it's like a bomb goes off. And uh, anyway, well, John, let's talk about your family. So you're a husband and a, and a father, and you mentioned some of the challenges of being on the road of at least 25 weeks of the of the year, much of that much of that week, and then part of the other weeks you're on the road as well, traveling with with. So, what are a couple of the challenges for your family, and how do you see the Lord? blessing or leading your family through your obedience to the call of evangelism? Well, um, um, uh, we've learned uh, to, to operate this way. Um, 
for ever since again I, the year that my son was born is when I was called to do it and so they they don't really know me any other way yeah. and uh, the good thing about being an evangelist is is and pastors can relate to this when when I'm home I'm fully home yeah. and uh, for that when I get home Thursday Friday and Saturday I'm fully home and then when I do a prep week I'm usually just gone one day so that those next five or six days I'm fully home where when I was in the pastorate and, and up pastors know you're on call 24 hours a day right. and uh, you're gone most nights. And, and you're, so it's a different, it's a different setup, but I feel like um, I've been, I'm, I'm more carved out to do that. And, and yes, when I'm gone, I'm completely gone. But when I'm home, I'm completely home. And, and my family knows that they have all of me, not some of me. So. John, my guess is your wife has had to deal with some pretty challenging things while you've been away and she just had to take care of anything come to mind of, on something that came up while you were in revival that she just had to you would have taken care of had you been there, but she just had to take care of it. Yeah, you know, all the way from the insignificant uh, challenges at home uh, from faucets busting to, uh, you know, car trouble. Uh, different things like that, uh, but all the way to the more tragic, like this weekend, or I mean, just yesterday, the the, the my son's friend was killed in a in a car accident, and so um, we we have things like that happen, and a lot of times I'm gone. That's why I'm here in the hotel today, uh, and so we we've learned to do, use a lot of FaceTime, and we've learned to operate uh, with technology. It makes it a lot better. Um, they know I'm, I'm here and, and anytime I need to, most of my revivals are in the Southeastern United States. Um, and, uh, so there's been times I've drove all night to be home. So, yeah. um, I, I'm, I'm willing to do that. And my wife knows I'm willing to do it. So. so you're the, you're a spiritual leader in your home. How do you, how do you lead your family spiritually when you're, you're gone a good part of the time? How do you and your wife work that out? Well, we uh, we try to spend time with them uh, weekly. Uh, it's it's not a it's not a uh, we don't have a scheduled time together uh, that we do every day. Uh, but we we we're both my wife and both my boys are very involved in church. Uh, we have a wonderful pastor. My pastor's Jason Britt. Uh, my children work in the special needs ministry and and. Uh, my wife is involved in, in, in the, the local church and it's, it's a huge blessing. Uh, and, the, and when I'm home, they, they go with me. And when I'm, you know, we, we make the best of it. It's not a, it's not a, 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 a schedule that is planned every week, but it's a, it, it works for us. So John, you're around pastors uh, all the time in a different church each week. In fact, you were just in Kentucky recently with Charles Frazier at Science Cause Baptist Church over in Benton. You all had a good revival week. I think that one was extended at, at least by one day before the end of the end of the week. So uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. October is clergy appreciation. What are some things you just appreciate about pastors? Uh, well, take Charles, for example. Uh, Charles, uh, him and I have just he ministers, he ministered to me the, the whole week. I mean, we, I, I, I'm trying to pour into him, but, but Charles uh, ministered to me and, and, and 
Uh, I love being around pastors. I always tell people when when pastors hang out together, they get weird. Uh, When evangelists hang out together, they get weird. But when we hang out evangelist and pastor together, we complement each other. And I feel like uh, I feel like with pastors, they um, uh, they they they. I appreciate them pouring into me and most pastors that I work with, they not only pray for me, uh, they, they genuinely are a blessing to my family. I've had pastors send my wife and uh, flowers. I've had them um, uh, send my boys presents. I've had them do all kinds of wonderful. I mean, pastors, that's just their calling. They, they, they love ministering to people and they minister to me naturally out of their call and they they minister to me john i just have to ask were there when you i mean you've been through 18 months of covid your schedule completely upended your all your finances are connected to the work that you that you do were there any churches or pastors that that just maybe try to reach out during that time and offer some kind of gift or or assistance to you and your family did that happen at all that it certainly did and, and you know I, I praise the lord that the only person that i told that I had a need was Jesus. Yeah. And, uh, and I love the past. A lot of pastors called me Todd just out of the blue. Some of them I haven't seen in years, uh, but just call me out of the blue and said, you know, we were praying and we just, it just dawned on me that you were hit harder than all of us. And, uh, and, and pastors have taken up love offerings. Uh, pastors have, uh, sent me gift cards, uh, just different things. But it, what I love about it is the Holy Spirit laid me on their hearts and uh, and as well as church members, uh, different people. Just like I said, all I had to do is tell it to Jesus and he made sure they they knew. So a lot of pastors are experiencing burnout and fatigue right now. 18 months of COVID decision-making. There've been some fairly upset church members. You know, we folks have different opinions about some of these matters that we're dealing with. Uh, have you experienced burnout and fatigue in your ministry? I'm sure you've had fatigue, but have you gone through what's what we'd call burnout? I, I have. I've had two crisis moments um, where I almost threw in the towel um, just out of fatigue and, and um just missing, I think primarily missing my family and, and just, you know, basically having an Elijah moment where you have a pity party and want to just go in the cave. And I, I definitely had that during COVID. Uh, yeah. A lot of pastors were feeling it. And I talked with a lot of pastors. And of course, they called me and and would cancel. And, and, and you know, and I, I, I wish I could have could tell you that I walked through this time. Uh, with my head held high and no doubts and but that's not the case i i did have a pity party and and uh, i've um uh, I, I did go in 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 that way but uh i i've been encouraged um by i tell you todd my favorite story and you may want to interview this particular pastor in georgia one of the most encouraging moments as i was coming back through the mountains and i stopped and talked with a pastor in tiger georgia and he had been through a difficult church split before COVID, and then COVID hit, and they told they were he was 
the short version is he said, I, I, I can't afford for this to happen right now. I've already had a church. But he, he chose to do right the opposite of what most pastors did. And he ended up leading more people to Christ. And he, he just, I, I stopped by and talked with him. And I was so convicted of the way I was thinking. And God used him. He 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 um, he would sit out. He would put his speakers outside in the rain and put uh, garbage bags over the speakers and he waxed down his guitar and have service outside and did a drive in theater type um, setup. And then he said we had so many people coming. We had a park across the street. Uh, he said during the day he would go to a, a barbecue restaurant that was closed and just sit on their porch. And he let everybody know, if you want me to pray for you, uh, please come by. I'll hear your story and I'll pray for you. He said, I led more people to Christ at that barbecue restaurant. Wow. And he just did the opposite. And I was so encouraged and so convicted. And that's another good example of how pastors pour into my life and, and, and bless me. And, uh, and he had what, where a lot of pastors and including myself had our worst year, he had his best year. Yeah. John, you again, around a lot of pastors, you've, you've known some pastors who've had a moral failure in one way or another, no doubt about that in your years in ministry, you're on the road a lot and away from your family. What are some guardrails that you have in place to protect you, your ministry, and even, even those that you're striving to serve? Uh, I, I'll never forget my mentor in um, in seminary, and he just passed away, and he passed away from COVID, so I lost him. But uh, and while we were in seminary, uh, we studied together, and I noticed when we would study over at his house, he put a sticket note on the had a sticket note at the top of his computer screen and at the top of his TV uh, out of the book of Job that says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. And uh, I, I've always uh, remembered that. And, 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 uh, and I wish I could say that I, I had somebody travel with me all the time, but, but I don't, but I have some of the best prayer warriors and I have some of the best people around me that, that um, of course my dad, he's my best friend and my best prayer warrior, but I've got my father in love. He's the same way. And, and, uh, and just, uh, you know, one of the, just having that accountability around me and having those, that my family, I have a huge family that supports me and I have a, a great, great, uh, pastor and church family that supports me. And they also during this time have, uh, have gathered around me as well. So it's, well, That's I'm grateful. I'm grateful for you, John, the way you do your work. Hey, let me just ask you some real quick general questions. You like to read. Name a book that's meant a lot to you over the years, something that you read at some point other than the Bible that has been a, a great influential book in your life. Oh, that's a that's a tough one. That, I, I have so many that I, I love. One, uh, one of my favorites um, that sticks out is uh, E.M. Bounds, Power Through Prayer. Mm -hmm. And I, I love just about every sentence in that book is a quote. <laughs> and uh, I find myself revisiting that book. If I had to pick one, I would say that one's made the biggest impact. You've preached hundreds of sermons. 
Um, I'm sure most all of them were home runs, but there's probably been one or two that, that didn't quite get as far out on the field as you wish they were. Uh, any memorable preaching mistakes that you're like, I hope I never do that again. <laughs> A memorable preaching mistakes. Uh, uh, it's okay if you don't have any. If nothing comes to mind. I, <laughs> I think I make mistakes in every sermon that I preach. Uh, but uh well, here's one thing I know that you you probably I mean evangelists tend to re-preach the same messages. You you have good sermons that you feel like the Lord's given you, and you've seen God use those. How do you stay fresh when you're preaching a message that you may have preached fifty or even a hundred times? How do you how do you maintain a freshness with that preaching? You you know Todd I I, I can honestly say I, I have preached messages uh, over and over. It never. Every time I preach a, a particular message, even if I whether I've preached it twice or fifty times, it's it's as if it's the first time. I, I never it never grows old for me because the gospel and 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 my testimony and how God's worked in my life and the scriptures are just alive. So um, um, I, I love I do preach the, some same messages. Uh, answer your question. How do I, how do I stay fresh? I, I love to read. I love to listen to other um, pastors preach, other evangelists preach. I love to go, you know, you, we're talking about revivals. I, I think it's, I think just like preachers love to go to conferences and love to uh, come to the conventions, we get refreshed and our people need that. Uh, the, the old school pastors, knew what they were doing when they had two revivals a year, one in the spring, one in the fall. It's good for the pastor. It's good for the people. If they're done right, it's good for everybody. And uh, so, who, are some, who are some preachers you like to listen to? Uh, I love to listen to my pastor, um, Jason Britt. He, he's, a, he's a wonderful preacher. Um, uh, like a lot of people, I, I like to listen to uh, John MacArthur. I like to listen to Dr. David Jeremiah. Uh, I, you know, all the, um, I like to listen to David Platt. Uh, um, I, I have so many that I, I like to listen to, but, um, but right now, I, I mean, I, I would have to say my pastor, he just pours into, into my life. I love listening to him. That's good. That's the way it ought to be. Uh, John, folks are always glad to give advice, good advice and bad advice. My guess is you've seen some of both. What's some of the best advice, ministry advice that you've ever received? Best ministry advice. Um, Junior Hill um, spent about two hours on the phone with me, and he didn't even know me at the time when I was first called uh, in into full-time evangelism. And he said, uh, John, build your ministry on second invites. And he says, if you go in and, and you pray and you do a good job and you love that pastor and minister to that pastor and minister to his congregation and, and be um, respectful, nice, careful, uh, and honor God in everything you do, he said, you'll know whether your calling is from God because one way you'll know is they'll call you back. Yeah. And uh, that's helped me more than anything because it, I treat every revival like it could be my last. And, uh, and I want, I want that pastor to be blessed. I want his people to be blessed. Uh, 
and uh, and that was that was really good advice. I, I don't I don't just fly in and fly out. And, um, I'm I'm looking at it like I'm building a lifelong relationship. Anybody that spends a week with you, John's going to have a good time. Both of you will have a, have a good time. If folks want to get in touch with you personally, they can reach out. They can reach out to me. I'm glad to share your cell number. Uh, but if folks want to just get in touch with you directly, how should they, how should they do that? Uh, you can, if you can remember my name, it, uh, it, my website will pop, pop up. It's under focused evangelism, F O. F-O-C-U-S-E-D evangelism is, is focused evangelism. But I, my ministry, my initially my ministry was under John Reed ministries. And so if you, if they just type in my name, it'll come up and, uh, but it'll take them to focused evangelism. But that's John without an H. Is that correct? Right. J-O-N-R-E-E-D. John Reed. And they can reach out to you. John, it's been a wonderful time. We appreciate having you in Kentucky when we had a crusade over in, in Pikeville and uh, I've kept up with you some since then. And it's good to, it's good to see you again. Thank you for your ministry and your friendship and thank you for joining leadership lessons. Hey, I appreciate it, Todd. And you know, I use that, um, that crusade photograph on my website. And I appreciate, picture. I appreciate y'all letting me be a part of that. That was, yeah. that was one of the highlights of my ministry. It was a good time. Could I pray for you before we cut loose? Absolutely. All right. Dear Lord, thank you for John. Thank you for your calling on his life. Lord, thank you that you have seen them and are seeing them through a COVID time. And thank you that you moved on the heart of others to minister to them as they've ministered to others with their life. I thank you, Lord, for your calling and for John answering that call. We pray together that there are others out there who are probably being called to full-time evangelism, and they probably feel pretty nervous about it, Lord. But we would just pray that you'd call out preachers, dear Lord, who would answer this calling to, to the work of the evangelist and that they'd spend their life as John has uh, helping others come to know Jesus. Uh, we pray Lord for his family, your blessings on them in the passing of his, his son's friend, please comfort and strengthen their family. And Lord, please use John, please keep him as busy as he needs to be. And please provide every single need that he has according to your riches and glory in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Jesus name. Amen. 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 Thank you, Todd. Thank you, John. Good talking with you. Good talking to you, too. Good to see you. Thanks for listening to Leadership Lessons. This program is made possible by the generous contributions by Kentucky Baptist through the cooperative program. For more information about the Kentucky Baptist Convention, go to kybaptist.org. And for news about how Kentucky Baptist churches are making a difference, go to kentuckytoday.com.